Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Welcome to the Mystic Order podcast. We're the Mystic Order of East Alabama fiction writers, and I'm Mystic Marion, the dog whisperer, sitting in the queen's seat today. And um, I'd like to introduce the other mystics or ask them to introduce themselves. I'm Joanne, the Mystic Defender. I'm Margie, the Mystic Illuminator. I am Mary, the Nebulous Mystic. And I am Katie, the Mystic Oracle. And I'm the Queen Gail. We did this podcast once before, and it was really great, except that for some unknown reason, my mic was turned off, and the other mystics were simply talking to a disembodied nothing. (laughs) I think it's that your aura is so strong that it just zapped the, the microphone. I think I have a lot of magnetism in my body I think absolutely <laughs> but we're going to we're, we're going to retry we we reconvened to do this podcast over which is is titled why is Krishna blue but I couldn't remember that so I started calling it prophets preachers and other anomalies so we're going to talk about prophets preachers and other anomalies and it's very fitting that this is our Halloween podcast so we're also going to talk about some other spooky stuff today um, well one spooky thing mystic Katie the oracle co-wrote a book about prophetess Mahaley Lancaster. And Katie, could you tell us a little bit about this fascinating woman? Well, she was um, a a remarkable woman who lived in Georgia, um, right across the line in Noonan area. And she um, was a lawyer and a politician and um, a loan shark and um, also a, a, a mystic, a fortune teller. And so her fame came in her fortune telling. But I helped Dot Moore from Montgomery, who knew her, um, put a book together about her her life. And it is an absolutely wonderful book, let me say. Well, Katie, the the listening public may know her from Murder in Coweta County. That's so, right. Uh, will you talk about that? Yes. So um, one of the mysteries that she solved as a fortune teller was a murder that occurred. Um, in Coweta County, called uh, by John Wallace. John Wallace was a local, a very wealthy local farmer who um, m- murdered one of his farmhands and threw him in a well. And they could, they knew he'd been murdered, but they couldn't find the body. So Mahaley helped them find the body, and then she had to testify in court. So the movie Murder in Coweta County was a made-for-TV movie, and it starred Johnny Cash and June Carter. Cash played Mahaley and um, Andy Griffith. And Andy Griffith was the bad guy, which he did really well. No. Yeah, I know. Didn't um, Mahala also solve some other mysteries around there? She solved mysteries right and left. And she found rings for Tallulah Bankhead. She told a fortune for a lot of famous people who would come through on the train. And in fact, I I think there was a rumor that she might have done um, Roosevelt's as he came through at some point. So 
Anyway, wow. she was well known and solved all kinds of interesting mysteries. So um, it was it was a fun book, a fun story to tell. Mary Marion. Mystic Marion, didn't you dress up like this mm-hmm. woman? I absolutely dressed up like Mahaley. It was one of the high points of my life. Our friend, poet Melissa Dixon, was doing a story for Coweta Magazine on Mahaley. She lives up there uh, in Mahaley land, and she was doing a story, and she knew how much I've loved Mahaley for years and called me and said, would you consider dressing up like Mahaley? And I don't ever leave town but I left town to dress up like Mahaley Lancaster tell me I also you never turn left in your car right right correct so I, I think that's important <laughs> and before um, you tell how you dress up like yes Mahaley, that's what I want to know how do you dress how does miss, one dress she was missing an eye mm-hmm. and she would put a marble in her eye instead of getting a, an eye I didn't do that oh, well, I, I did not might. do that but you know when I was thinking about redoing this podcast I started thinking well here we are writers I ought to bring in a literary slant to it and Mahaley fits beautifully with um, she had second sight and we have this glass eye if Flannery O'Connor could not have written this any more beautifully than it actually happened in real life that's perfect how did she lose her eye Katie might know that's a mystery that's never been solved there were all kinds of stories that got poked in the eye by the stick, which her parents always warn us about, um, and a lot of different reasons. But um, it was never never confirmed about how it had been lost, but it, she was very young when it happened. Hmm. That, you know, that would be a great thing since she was an attorney. I can imagine it. All you had to do is mention that, well, of course, if it was a marble, I guess you wouldn't have to mention it. It would just be very obvious <laughs> yes. that she didn't have one eye. But you would fascinate the jury with that. Was it a cat eye marble? A cat eye marble? She it was had all kinds. She'd pop different ones in and out. <laughs> like she had some that I think that were bloodshot looking. And some that were just regular marbles, and then she'd have others that were painted different ways. So she had like a, an eye for every outfit. I was going to say there was a an attorney locally, and this is back way back in the day when people smoked in court. And whenever the other side, he would smoke a cigar, and he would never tap the ash. So while the other side was arguing, he'd let that ash get longer and longer. And the jury was just fascinated at for the ash to fall. I know. So I think Mahaley could have the same thing. That would be wonderful. Well, bringing it back to Halloween, did y'all realize that you can go like to an eye place at the mall and get eyes that look like Dracula's eyes? And you can go to a dentist and pay to have fangs put on its kind of pricey but i have known people who have done that for their yearly trip to dragon con oh i didn't know that so wait a minute what do you do are you talking about just like some heavy duty contact you can get kind of creepy looking contact lenses mm-hmm. now i used to change my eye color when i yeah. was young and vain with contact lenses and i had some extreme green ones now she just changes her eyelid color it's just the most beautiful peacock egg blue like peacock blue robin's egg blue it's got glitter in it oh gosh y'all should see her i want to point out that marion is now old and vain (laughs) oh sha sha not vain enough to wear contact lenses anymore and that kind of ended when i had these stunning green ones and my mama looked at me and said Yo eyes look like stagnant pond water. 
But what an amazing description. Right. Mama has a way of describing things well. Mama has a way. You know, since you mentioned Flannery O'Connor, I think you should mention the goat man from Georgia. Well, let's do that. And Gail, our queen, is the only... Well, I've seen the goat man, but just in passing. But Gail actually had an experience, and I know that our listening audience can't see visuals, but I brought a lovely picture of the goat man with all of his goats and his sign that says, Prepare to meet thy God, and a drawing of the goat man that I bought it in the state sale. Right off of a wall. I hate to say it, but his little his little cart, his goat cart, looks a little bit like an old timey traveler wagon. Well, a traveler wagon, but like a, a coffin carrier. Oh, <laughs> might be. And I should mention too that Marion has a story about the goat man in my collection of stories, Bright Illuminations. Yes. So thank you. Thank just you wanted to you know make sure you get that book and read that story. And you want to tell our listeners how to get that book? Oh, they can find it on Amazon. And the and name of it is Bright Illumination. Yes, the the art of Margie Bright Raglan and the words of others. I want to. I have a question about the Goat Man. Was he a singular attraction, or were there other Goat Men? I mean, was it a thing to be a Goat Man? Or was he just a goat man? And I'm asking that because I see pictures of people with goats in my old family photos all the time, like the goat man coming to town. Well, he traveled a lot, is my I understanding. I answer that. He got around. A lot of children's carts had goats. Yeah. And uh, you'll see children mostly in those carts, but he was actually a, a tinker. He was a tinker and a preacher, and he, you know, he had a lot of goats, not just a goat-drawn cart, but he had a lot of goats. He slept with the goats at night. And yeah. The goats I bet he him. was an originator of goat yoga, not yogurt, yoga. Well, you know, no, I don't might. think so. <laughs> or goat yogurt. Have, I guess you could make yogurt. keep in mind, goat. he was in Alabama and Georgia. He might have thought that yoga was of the devil. That's so. true. Who knows? Well, I think I'll tell my story now about Please the goat do. man. I was traveling with uh, a friend of mine, and I've mentioned her before, Jan, and we've had several little mystical experiences. We're born on the same day, but I'm younger, I think. And we were at the um, Grand Canyon, and we traveled on the major road south of the, maybe on the only road south of the Grand Canyon, and I honestly can't remember where we were going. I think Phoenix, but, and I called Jan, who now lives in Blue Ridge, Georgia, and she can't remember anything much, but she can't remember where we were going. But when we started the trip out, the first strange thing that happened, honestly, was two Maasai warriors were galloping down the road toward the Grand Canyon. They had on the dyed red cape over their arm. They either had a staff or a spear. We were so shocked we couldn't even take it in. And just as our Volkswagen bus, of course, passed them, we just sort of said, well, look at that. And then the very next thing that happened was it hailed. It was quite hot out, but it hailed, and the hail was teeny. And so when it landed on the ground, it looked like it was snowing, very hot out, but snowing. And then just as we got to the road, which we would take a major highway, there was the goat man, and he was stopped by the side of the road. 
and the goats were gazing, grazing. They weren't. They were gazing and grazing. <laughs> I think you were gazing. I was gazing, and you know we really should have stopped and talked to him. But I think at the time we were sort of alarmed at at the um, whole trip so far. But he did have the wagon and all the religious signs up, and um, so we were very shocked. He he went to every single state except Hawaii. And he said he was gone there, but the goats couldn't swim. So he was seen by many, many people. And Flannery O'Connor based a story on him. Really? Violence will bear, bear, bear you away. Bear, the violet bear it away. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Wow. And I think, bless his soul, didn't he go to California looking for Morgan Fairchild? Because in his later years, he was in love with her and thought he was <laughs> going to marry her. Was she on Baywatch? I have no idea. <laughs> hey, did somebody hear somebody talk about some jumping Maasai warriors in the middle? Of, what is? What were they doing there, Gail? I, she's making like this. I don't know. It, it's just unresolved, huh? I saw some Maasai warriors jumping, but I was in Kenya. Yeah. It sounds like a trip. It does. <laughs> was, sound this like was a trip. the sixties. <laughs> This was the 60s, and we were in a Volkswagen bus. So that explains everything No, right it does not, because I am the queen. Okay. And, it is, and although Jan uh, probably had some funny mushrooms, the queen did not. Mm-hmm. Well, as the listeners can tell, we collect stories and unusual objects, and we're fascinated by other people who do. And if I remember right, the last time we tried to do this podcast, we talked a good bit about um, the Fugates of, of Kentucky. And we, um, Margie had a lot of information to share about those. And Mary wasn't with us that day, and she is our scientist. So I could just see a, a fascinating dialogue. So that's a really famous Kentucky family, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Rothschilds and... Well, no. they're, they're the, the few gates of Troublesome Creek, and... They were blue. They were blue. Okay. Some of them Krishna. were blue. That, that is actually how Krishna made his way into our last podcast, I think, is through the Fugate door. It, it was a, a blood condition. They, Gail, you know the details on that. Right. The um, first Fugate was actually French, and he was uh, a Huguenot that had come and settled in the hills of Kentucky, and in order for you to be blue, (laughs) I guess uh, you should say, you have to have a parent with each recessive gene. Well, he married this lily white woman, but she obviously somehow did have the recessive gene. And if you and your spouse have that, your children can be blue. Now, I think the first few gates had three blues and two whites. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Do you happen to remember if that first few gate woman was Luna? No, it wasn't. Luna was blue. I've always just thought how wonderful it would be to be named Luna and be blue. Uh, I also read at one time, and of course, Mary's our scientist, that if you have... A, a recessive gene just from one parent, you can possibly turn blue in certain situations. Death would be a good one, but uh, <laughs> your fingers, cold, your ears, or sick. And um, someone even told me that some babies are born with blue butts. Now, mine wasn't. He was just born rivers. Mine was born with blue eyes. 
Yeah, mine Because I too. think most babies probably. My Anna was as blue as a smurf, scared me to death, but the doctor insisted she was fine, and a few breaths later she was. And those conditions where you have um, multiple traits showing up, with you know, where one gene doesn't mask the other, there are a lot of interesting conditions there. The chimera, you might be familiar with that word where people like look like half of one thing and half of another. There can be humans that actually have multiple skin colors that show all the time. And calico cats are an example. Those aren't Mosaics is another word. So there, there's, there's all kind. Genetics is so much more complicated than, you know, blue eyes, brown eyes, recessive dominant. The, okay. The methone, they had a recessive gene for methemoglobinemia which is meth H, meth H gene. And it says that the first full, Martin Fulgate, and I guess that must be the Huguenot that Gail referred to, married an Elizabeth Smith, and they both settled in Hazard, Kentucky. And I guess conditions were such that there weren't many outside people to marry, so they married within the, the gene pool, so to speak. And, but their, um, the last blue person was came into the 20th century. Benjamin Stacy was the last known of the descendants of the Fulgates who had that that I don't I guess you wouldn't call it a disease. It's just a oh, it's a, it's a condition. Yeah, it depends on your definition. They can of reverse it now. Yeah, it says if they treat them with it, right. ironically with methylene blue. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course this is the origin. I mean, the, not the same condition, but of blue blood. The those royal families only married in their families and they would carry their conditions um and that was where blue blood came from yeah that's why there was a lot of insanity and in in, insanity in yes the monarchies hemophilia oh right hemophilia for the russian czars for sure well i was just thinking blue moon of kentucky you could do a lot with that song you of, could and this story with luna you? Mm-hmm. yeah blue moon is right blue luna huh yeah well, another story that we talked about last time, and I think that um, we didn't talk enough about it, was um, Vernon, Florida. Has anybody here ever been to Vernon, Florida? I have not, but I had I bought the the videotape about Vernon, Florida, because there's a documentary called Vernon, Florida, and it's one of the best movies. It's it's about on my top ten. Where, oh, it's if in you the haven't seen it, I highly and, recommend it. And it's um, the there's a group there, an exclusive group of people there who belong to what's called the Nub Club. <laughs> and the reason that they belong to the Nub Club is because they cut their limbs off to collect insurance. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, that's not the only thing fascinating about the people who live in Vernon, Florida. I had a friend who lived there, and that's how I came to know about Vernon, Florida. My former acupuncturist lived in Vernon. I was going to say, it is in the panhandle. I'm surprised that we have not been there. (laughs) Former acupuncturist, was he a member of the Nub Club? He was not a member of the Nub Club, and and he got out of Vernon as quickly as he could. But um, that's how I came to know. He did not see the humor in Vernon, Florida that I see. It, It was just horrifying well, to him. Bizarreness, if not humor, necessarily. I can't believe that the insurance company let those folks get away. Exactly well, which fingers they would they cut off? Uh, they would cut off. It didn't matter. Toes, fingers. There there was also a couple... Well, there was the first... 
person that I remember in that documentary was the man who had the turkey gobbles that lined all the way around his room. He had turkey is the beards. 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 The whole room was lined in turkey beards. And if that's not sick enough, he knew he'd say, now that one right there, I killed that one on the 14th day of November back in 1967. He knew it was like... How do you do that when you're missing your fingers? I, well, he pointed with one he still had. He, they don't cut all their fingers off. They keep off. their trigger finger. I mean, if you're smart enough to cut your limbs off to collect insurance, you're smart enough to know what limb to cut. Yes, you keep your trigger finger. That's right. How? There was another couple who said that their sand grew 14 feet a year and moved. It would move around the yard. I happen to have a picture of those folks. Do you? I do. <laughs> oh, there they are. Isn't that strange? They are sitting on their front porch or out on their stoop, really. It's not a porch. And they have their little, cute little dog. And I want and to go get arms. it. And I kind of like the pants he's got on. They're kind of plaid. But they have their jar of moving sand. And I heard that it grows. It, gro- it says, I mean, I've heard that it grows 14 feet a year. I've, yeah, and I was moved to read about that. And it does grow. It does. It, it, I don't know There's if it absorbs water or something. There's some reason why. Um, it's in a mason jar. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe maybe was, I just looked at the growing sand. a mason jar so water won't get in there. Um, this is an Errol Morris documentary, and he has a million, and they're all good. And right after Vernon, Florida, he did um, have to look Gates of Heaven about people who run a pet cemetery. I think it's a couple oh. of stories, and it is. I can't do it any justice by chatting about it, but um, this mystic highly recommends Errol Morris documentaries. You know, our fellow writer Rita Grimsley Johnson took us to the Bird Dog Cemetery. Oh, yeah. Remember? Marion didn't go because, again, Marion doesn't leave town or turn left. But didn't... We, I went, oh, yeah. The rest it's of very went. sweet. Yeah. And I've, I've been, not with y'all, that was before I was a mystic, but, but I have there been There was once. no time before you were a mystic. Okay. You, we, you we, were... You just didn't have... You just didn't have your apron yet. You were born to be a mystic. Mm-hmm. Unless the public thinks that it was just a little backyard. I mean, it was as big as a human cemetery. Mm-hmm. And beautiful headstones. Oh yeah, the probably very the one that I loved has a coon dog, and it's. Mm-hmm. Did you the, consult for this cemetery, Marion? Were you the consultant for the cemetery? No, I was not the consultant for this cemetery. And the epitaphs on them are so sweet. Oh, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yes. they are so so dear. We should do that for our own our own people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't leave Florida without talking about Gibtown. Mm-hmm. So um. Uh, is everybody here familiar with Gibtown? Another documentary. You just got documentaries. <laughs> I am not familiar with Gibtown, Florida. Gibtown, Florida. It's really Gibson Town, but they call it Gibtown. It's where the people that traveled with the circus wintered. So Sarasota. I thought they went to Sarasota. Well, it might be near okay. Sarasota, but it's Detail. called Gibson Town. And um, if if you if you read the back of the case that the video came in, it says home of thousands of carnival and circus show people. Meet Melvin Burkhart, who retired to Florida like many other senior citizens, but will still nail a six-inch spike into his head for anyone who asks <laughs> politely. Jeannie Tomaney, the half-girl who married Al, the tallest man in the world, and B. Fee and Garland Parnell, an octogenarian couple who have produced 
various monkey acts for over 40 years. But the star of Gibtown, who's been on every true crime show known to man, is Grady Styles, Lobster Boy. The Lobster Boy had some deformity in his, his hands. His hands and his fingers were fused and together. Feet. And yeah. he married two different women and had children. He Most of his children had the condition and one girl did not have the condition. But Lobster Boy was mean. He yes. was as mean as he could be. And why wives would keep... His, he, went, he bounced between the two wives, apparently. And, you know, one would leave him and then he'd go to the other one. And then the first one would take him back. And one of his stepchildren was the human box head who could poke <laughs> anything up his nose, you know, that Ow. you could think of. And I was telling this to one of my classes. We were studying the Southern Grotesque one day in one of my classes at Auburn. And I said, well, you know, they were saying, well, this just isn't realistic because they hadn't encountered people like this in Alpharetta. And so, you know, I said, well, no, 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 this is realistic. I mean, there's a man named Grady Stiles. And I started telling the story. And I said his son was the human box head and he could poke anything. You tell him up his nose. And one of my precious dear students from New Orleans said, well, I know somebody that can poke anything up, that can swallow anything that you tell him to and cough it back up in the order that you tell him to. Like you can get him to swallow multiple things mm -hmm. and he can cough them back up in the order that you tell him to. I've I seen saw, this I done. I saw somebody like that on America's Got Talent. Really? <laughs> yes. That is ta <laughs> now, just like that. Now that is talent. David Letterman's <laughs> Stupid Human Tricks. He, somebody does it on there. Turns a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> I hope he did not win America's Got Talent. He was in the final 20 or something like that. That is just wrong. I'm sorry. The, the queen does not approve. Um, yeah, those stupid animal tricks that they did. My class one time decided, one of my students said, do you know how to hypnotize a chicken? And I said, no. And she said, well, you just hold it down and you draw a line right from its eyes and it'll just lay there and it'll just lay like it's dead so we decided we'd get a whole bunch of chickens and hypnotize them all and do a little like you this know, was an art class yes it's an art class <laughs> just curious not not a poultry or a poetry but did you poultry. get tenure <laughs> yes i did, did, did uh, they I didn't know about this did the tenure uh, committee <laughs> discuss your chicken thing no but we arranged them in geometric shapes <laughs> This is wrong again. If you, it worked, it did work. We're going to hear from the what? Who? Georgia Wait, Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> no, no chickens were harmed. <laughs> no chickens were harmed. Were they? Is there a statute of limitations? But did you did you get them like to quit smoking and to lose weight? <laughs> lose weight, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, could you draw a line in front of my nose? <laughs> well, I don't want to leave the Lobster Boy until we talk about the movie Freaks, because a lot of the, the freaks live there. Well, and that's what do. I heard Gibtown was for, not unlike Sarasota, which is a big city, but the, the circus people could go there, and because most of them were oddities, um, I guess what some people would call freaks, they could live together, and nobody look twice you know if somebody wanted to hammer a six inch bike into their head nobody said ah oh, whatever you know meet me for coffee later you know well they got criticized quite often because uh the carnival was accused of using them to make money but actually 
this was their life, and they some of them, Lobster Boy made a lot of money. Right. Oh, yeah. And they married, and they had friends. A lot of the freaks, which they called themselves, lit, that lived there had been in a movie called Freaks, which now is kind of a cult movie. I think it was filmed in, like, the early 30s. Do you remember, Margie? You went the night I went, didn't I you? I did. It was a frightening movie. It was <laughs> really, really scary. There was a film class at Auburn. Yeah. I think we uh, all went to see that. So we, was it scary, like horror scary, or was it, it just well, scary because it was were so real, bizarre? They, they were really freaks. Like, they had microcephalics, and they had them. The first shot is they had all of them in a tree, sitting in a tree, and the camera just comes closer in as you start freaking out. And, of course, Margie and all her friends had smoked the dope, so. <laughs> now, uh, not me. No. Uh, <laughs> just your friends. Just never. And they just were the ones that started freaking out most. <laughs> it was it was truly frightening because the freaks got mad. They really did. They, anyway, you, you must see it. <laughs> okay, I, I may not see it. So they got mad. Would they fly out at the photographer? Or? We accept <laughs> What? Oh. I don't remember any line. I just remember that first shot, and I remember thinking, oh, the the person that was filmed the most often, I think, was named Pip. He, uh, It was a guy, but he always wore a dress because he was a microcephalic with a little teeny... They called him Pinhead. And, um, well, that was rude. He uh, Not for the greatest generation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 1932. I'm looking on my phone in case anybody needs to watch it. Uh, uh, completely off subject here, but Mary, don't you have a movie blog? I have a very, that's a mystic moment. Is it time for a mystic it's moment? It's time okay. for a mystic oh, moment. A mystic moment. Hey, let's do a mystic moment. I do. I've mentioned it on, my, on the other podcast. I, I ha- don't keep it up very well. I married a movie man because my husband is obsessed with movies. But I have a different mystic moment. It's something that happened a long time ago. I'm going to tell it real fast. I used to work with uh, multiply handicapped students, children and adults, and one of our students, my husband worked with them as well, one of our students, um, God, I'm going to sound really heartless, because this is actually a funny story, but this part's not. He had lost his vision because he was shot, and so he, they didn't think he was going to recover, so they just did a very fast job on his face and just gave him ill-fitting glass eyeballs and a big pair of glasses, and he he would frequently just pop the eyeballs out, out of boredom. And one time I was driving the kids downtown, and I was driving a 15-passenger van, and I kept hearing this sound every time I turned the corner. And I looked down on the ground, and there was that big glass eyeball rolling around. And I remember just yelling, Bobby Ingalls, stop taking your eyeballs out. And thinking, not something I had planned on. That's how he entertained his friends. Do you remember when, you know, when we were not elderly people? (laughs) No. And elderly people would scare. This may not have ever happened to any of you. This may explain why. We're actually women of an age. Of an age. We're not elderly. This may explain why I, to this day, wear glitter blue eye shatter. (laughs) But um, I can remember older people popping their bridges out at me. Well, that's not nice. I remember one holding me on my back in her lap and leaning over me and sticking those false teeth out at me. <laughs> that's what your eyeball story made me think of, although I have to say your eyeball story wins the prize here. 
I had an uncle that did have dentures, and we would beg him when we were little to take his teeth out. <laughs> I had an That's uncle that had a fake nose that was attached to his glasses, and his wife would go, Justin, put your nose on. Company's here. <laughs> His nose was attached to his glasses? Yes, because his no- I don't know if it was a war injury or cancer or what, because I was too young to ask, and I was totally afraid of the man. I would have been told not to ask, and then I would be mad with my mother to this day for not letting me ask, although she would have asked. Oh, yeah, well, and it was connected to this, his black glasses, so when company came, he put on his glasses. He didn't need glasses, but he needed his nose. Oh, well, mystic listen, moments. I want to say something about a mystic moment that I just, I just love. I'm pretty sure that we have absolutely no idea what a mystic moment is. And so I actually had a mystic moment, but here's the problem. I'm not going to tell my age, but I've forgotten what my mystic (laughs) moment was. (laughs) And so when it came time for mystic moment, I'll look down and I do have a few notes here, but I forgot my mystic moment. (laughs) Well, speaking of forgetting, not one soul has said why was Grady Stiles on Unsolved Mysteries. Oh. Tell why? us, why was he on Unsolved Mysteries, Mary? Well, he killed his, his daughter was going to get married, and he didn't like the boy she was marrying, so he murdered him. And then the bo- another child, a stepchild and his friend killed Grady. Oh so my. there was just a lot of violence going on in Gibtown, in Gibtown around, surrounding Grady Styles, the Grady Styles family. Now that you have said that, um, you know, the lawyer kicks in again. And I understand that he was found guilty. Grady, the, the lobster boy, was found guilty of the murder, or maybe manslaughter, but they did not make him serve one day because they said that the penal facilities could not accommodate, accommodate him. his disabilities. Yeah. So, right. Played is, it. He played it. He did indeed. One comment before we leave Freaks is a great book called Geek Love by Katherine Dunn, and I highly recommend it to explore the world of geeks. Tell it's, us about it. Well, it's a story of the Banuskis, a Carney family whose parents set out to help with amphetamines, arsenic, all kinds of stuff, to breed their own human oddities. <laughs> so they bred their own children that they would have a profession. And so there was Arturo, the aqua boy, who has flippers for limbs and a megalomaniac ambition. Um, And then there's Iffy and Ellie, who were limpsome Siamese twins, uh, and um, they played forehand piano. (laughs) And there was Oli, who was out, she was an albino hunchback, but she was pretty normal otherwise, except she did have a tail. And then there was Chick, who seemingly was normal, but he could really do things with his mind. Is this fiction or non-fiction? Uh, it's, it's <laughs> just curious. <laughs> you know what? This it's fiction. Okay. You want to well, know what this throws? No, we were just talking about Gift Town and, and Nub City, you know, and people would do and things to themselves to make themselves freaks. And we're right now bringing it back to literature because... Um, What came to my mind when you were reading that was Hawthorne's The Birthmark and also Rappuccini's Daughter. In The Birthmark, the scientist husband has a beautiful wife, but she has a tiny hand birthmark on her face, and he kills her in an effort to take the tiny hand off. And in Rappuccini's Daughter, Dr. Rappuccini 
feeds his daughter small amounts of poison her whole life mm. so that she herself becomes a poison she's beautiful but poisonous so she can never if when you know if she touches giovanni the man who falls in love with her she's going to kill him so we have kind of a reversal of the Midas touch. And, right, and that doesn't even touch Southern literature where we have, um, oh my goodness, the Holga's wooden leg representing her wooden soul. And then in the Welty story, Petrified Man, where we have the women in the beauty shop being the Gorgon sisters who are figuratively petrifying their husbands because they are such monsters themselves. So we've brought it all back to literature, which is where we belong, where we live. It, it takes some kind of amazing moxie as well for those women to write the stories with those freaks or, or whatever you want to call them to represent those situations so blatantly. You know, just like, oh, you're a petrified soul. I'll put a petrified man here. Right. It's just, it, it's amazing. And it's to tie so classical mythology yeah. into 19... 50s Mississippi. Right. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely amazing to me. Of course, Kafka did it too with Gregor when he had him turn and, you know, wake up a bug. A bug. I do not want to leave people that are, are odd without mentioning Edgar Casey. And the reason being is because Edgar Casey lived in Selma, Alabama for mm, 10 years, I think, and he was a wedding photographer. And a friend of mine's parents had their wedding photos taken by Edgar Casey, And you and I went to see Terry Klein, right. who uh, has gone on now to really be with Edgar Casey, But he channeled Edgar Casey through his typewriter, supposedly, and wrote a book about it. And As Edgar Casey was taking pictures of those newlyweds, could he tell how long their marriage would last? Probably. <laughs> Probably. Did he tell them? He was called the Sleeping Prophet. And I remember that. Anyway, I th the reason I bring him up is because we can claim him as our Alabama person. An Alabama person. Yeah, because <laughs> Mahalo never lived in Alabama. I believe she did. She did practice here, though. I did she? Yes, apparently when you're a fortune teller, you don't have to have um, reciprocal agreements or anything like that. <laughs> I think the last <laughs> she could cross state lines. <laughs> I think the last time we did this podcast, we always talked. We also talked about Eddie at Pasaquan, correct? Mm -hmm. And Say the dumb. mystics made a, 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 a some mystics made a Pasaquan trip together. I think yes. all mystics have been to Pasaquan, mm -hmm. but yes. recently I have not. Oh, Joanne, um, we'll remedy that. We'll have to go. Well, Gail and I, we quit, the Queen and I went. And my friend um, Mike McFalls from Columbus State University is responsible for the restoration of Eddie Owens Mart Martins, um, who called himself Saint Ohm, um, masterwork, where he, after living in New York, returned to Buena Vista, Alabama. That's Buena Vista. Uh, Buena Vista. Buena. Uh, Buena Vista. There you go. This not not Buena Vista mm -mm. or whatever, but anyway, it, it's it's a fascinating um, land that he built, and um, it's been restored, you know, really beautifully. Gail, do you want to say something about our trip? Well, the thing I like about Saint Om uh -huh. that Eddie's is um, he was a E O M E O M yeah, he was a character, 
and he had millions of cats, and he used to load them in the car when he'd go uptown to get groceries and open his fancy, I think, Cadillac. Most likely. But it had something glued on it like dinosaurs or something. Or is that Butch Anthony? <laughs> That's but it, Butch Anthony. But it had something <laughs> something to uh, recommend it. And these cats would get out, and he'd go into the Winn-Dixie probably. And when he got back to the car, he would just um, raise a hand. He didn't make any sound, and all the cats would come running and jump back in the car. Cats, if you have connections with spiritual Beans, through right? your hair, the through your hair. That's right. He would put his hair up in a cone, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Is that right? It would and receive. It would receive. Mm-hmm. Well, when when I was a real little girl, before Daddy opened his grocery stores, he worked for a short while at a clothing store on Broad Street in Columbus. And Eddie used to come in with his own fabric and have the ladies that did the alterations and sewed suits make his clothes for him and I'm just so jealous that daddy didn't take me to work with him on a day when Eddie Martin was coming it just breaks my heart I was going to say as far as cats are concerned of course they are very difficult to make come even if you say something but I suspect that when he raised his hand he had a kitty treat in it that's all it takes (laughs) so if for the listeners out there who uh, need to know because everyone needs to visit the land of Passaquan. You can go online through Columbus State University or you can just Google it. It's P A S A Q U A N. And it is well worth a day trip, but you do need to go online and see the schedule. They run a schedule that changes seasonally and they have events and whatnot, but um, it's, it's child friendly. If children love it, it's beautiful, bright colors, levitating giants. Um, there are anatomically collect, yes. correct nude levitating giants. Uh, yeah. so if you're scared of body parts, Quite stay home. <laughs> naked men. When yeah. we took John David over there when he was a child, I, I went once, my parents, John David and I went to Pasaquan the first time. And this was before it was restored and we crawled under a fence. Mm-hmm. You know, this was years. It was when, well, 30 years ago, nearly. And um, my parents were there, my mother specifically. And she would say, John David... Don't you touch that. You'll catch some dread disease. You'll catch some dread disease. And then she'd look at me and she'd say, this man was obsessed. Well, he was a little obsessed. So I take it it's art? It's art. Oh, yeah. it's, out, it's considered outsider art. We have, you know, we're blessed with it's, outsider artists around here. Asian-inspired, sort of. Or Aztec-inspired. Or Aztec, or, or a oh. mixture. It's, Beautifully yeah. hallucinogenic. But he has a geometric. Pagoda yeah. And, you know, and just really beautiful figures. and. Co- Is it more impressive than the drive through museum down there? Yes. yes. But I love you, the drive through museum. I love but the drive through museum. Pasaquan's on a bigger scale than the drive through museum. I have it. But it's no more impressive than the Museum of Wonder. It's no more impressive than Butch himself. That's right. Oh. Yes, yeah, Butch, Butch is, is a wonderful artist that lives in Marion, near Marion's hometown. What is your hometown, Marion? Jernigan, and Butch lives in Seal, and we went to the same school, but he was younger. Um, I've seen Butch recently. He came to an estate sale I was helping with, and um, we had a caribou head there, and he bought it. So that gives you a little 
a little view into his personality. So would it be helpful to other listeners if y'all explained more about Butch? And he's an have, artist. I think we have. And, okay. And I'm sure our listeners have listened to um, other cats. Other. But if not, he is a, a wonderful artist. My favorite thing he does is he bonifies pictures by drawing the skeleton on top of all the old, all your old ancestors, perhaps, and also <laughs> Audubon's <laughs> birds. <laughs> so you can just type in Butch Anthony and get all you want to see on uh, from Google. I, I've, I want to return to um, anomalies, although I do love talking about our artists. But um, I, I do want to return to anomalies, if I may, and this ties into literature also. But when I was in college... And I was taking those hardcore science classes. One of my professors kind of casually mentioned that we have three kinds of sex. We have our genotype, which is pretty hard set. Your genes don't change. You get them from your parents. Your phenotype, which is what you look like. And your brain sex, which is also known as your gender. And he said as casually as could be, sometimes the three of them match up which I thought was brilliant and wrote it down. And then we went on to learn about a condition called 5-alpha-reductase deficiency. And here's what I learned. I'm going to share it real quick, and then I'll tie it back to literature. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm a mystic and a writer, and I just do dig science. So the default uh, phenotype is female. If you take a baby and you just let it develop, it's going to be a female phenotypic female. You can take a genotype as a male, not give it any testosterone during fetal development, and it'll be born a female. So to get a male, you have to have these two times when you just blast this developing person with testosterone. Once it's in fetal development, and another one is around puberty. Mothers of boys probably know about that one. Yeah, we do. (laughs) So to form testosterone, you need an enzyme, and for some well, it's, it's genetic. There's a genetic anomaly where the enzyme needed to convert testosterone into testosterone is missing. So these babies that have that anomaly, as they're developing, it doesn't matter what their genotype is, they develop phenotypically as girls. And that's just fine. They're baby girls. And then when they get to puberty... <laughs> they get that second blast of testosterone and they begin to develop male characteristics, including genitalia, and this is so true. Right there, you have little girls turning into little boys who can even be fertile little boys, Uh, well, when they become men. So I was beyond fascinated from two perspectives. One, the scientific perspective. I couldn't wrap my head around it, but also from... So the social idea, you know, what, what would it be like to be raised as a little girl and then be treated as a boy? So when I got older, I started reading about it, and it turns out that um, a few places where this happens, one is in the Dominican Republic, they're celebrated. And they have a name for them, and I don't speak Spanish, Guevodoches? Guevodoches? I don't know what it means. Let me see. And anyway, they're in um, the DR, they celebrate these children, they think of them maybe as somehow mystical. But it also happens in Papua New Guinea, and they don't celebrate, and the children are stunned. And then there's a small sec- section of our population of um, Turkish, I think the Tur- from Turkey, who carry this um, anomaly. 
And it's recently been brought into popular culture through a very popular best-selling book called Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. That's a great book. So if you've read that book, that's exactly what's going on there. And he doesn't get into I'm not sure I would read it after listening to that, but I already did and I loved it. It was fascinating. And he goes back and does the whole, you know, he, he throws in some incest and all kind of stuff back in the... The ancestors you, of the main if character. If you and the audience went and got your cup of coffee, this is Mystic Mary talking, not the <laughs> Queen. <laughs> and also, I'm worried about how we're going to talk about Halloween after all that. Oh, it won't be hard to talk about Halloween after all of that. Um, what are y'all going to be for Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a mystic. I'm going to be a hermaphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about that costume? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm I have a favorite. How ha- I have a fra- favorite Halloween costume that I wish I'd thought up, but I didn't. But we have. Um, if you follow Auburn football, you know that we have a tree in downtown Auburn that when we win, everybody runs down there and throws toilet paper on the tree. On well, one Halloween, uh, there's a knock on the door and open the door, and there's this little five-year-old, maybe four-year-old tree with toilet paper all over it. <laughs> 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 That's about my favorite costume. One of the one of the disappointments of life to me really is that children don't have homemade Halloween costumes that mm-hmm. reflect them as individuals anymore. Everybody shows up one year as Spider Man and the next whatever the popular superhero movie of or Buzz Lightyear is that its name? Mm-hmm. They show up as whatever movie was popular for children that year instead of being the Blues Brothers or, or you know. Yeah, I, I've made a costume for one of my sons. Um, he loved owls, so I got a leotard and sewed feathers on it. And then I painted his face to look like an owl. So he was an owl one year. And that was kind of cool. I do have a Halloween story I want to tell about the great Rivers Langley, who's now in Hollywood. He's left his family for in search of fame. And I'm his family, and he does have a father as well, so we're lonely. But here's a story about Rivers. He had a sitter, which we loved, and her name was Mim, and she was a a wonderful person. It's probably the reason Rivers is not in the penitentiary now. But um, he was in kindergarten, and he wanted to go trick-or-treating at Mim's house. She was a health nut. That's another thing. And very, very kind, very religious, just a wonderful person. So we head over there, and uh, he knocks on the door and says, trick-or-treat. Mim has for him a popcorn ball, healthy, and an apple. And River says, Mim, are there any razor blades in this apple? (laughs) (laughs) And Mim says, Rivers, I have had such a busy day. I did not have time to put the razor blades in the apples. And Gail, I think that is one of your stories in the ploy of cooking. Oh, is it? Right. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You have a you have a recipe. I brought for a it. ploy today since we don't ever know whether we have any or not. I think it's candied apples or something. <laughs> Margie, you have a mystic moment about the ploy of cooking specter balls and. Uh, the inventory, our inventory of the ploy of cooking. Oh, yes, I do. I've heard about it already. Oh, Gail already heard about it. Well, we should share because um, for the longest time, there's only been one book available on Amazon. Everyone was probably scared to buy it. But, Margie, what happened? Oh, well, I decided I would clean out my storage unit. (laughs) 
And I discovered two boxes of the ploy. So we now have 50 more copies. So so it's so exciting. The last 50 (laughs) copies and Christmas right around the corner. Yeah, all you got to do is put a red bow on that book and it is good to go. Let me just say this one thing. There's all possibilities that we had more copies in the cars Joanne traded in last year and the year before. Because she drives them around in the trunk of her car, like a, I guess, a traveling salesman. So, yeah, there are probably more out there. One thing I will say proudly is I've never seen one in a Goodwill. Or in a thrift store. Um, The other mystic moment that I have includes Margie. And um, I recently took a course at Ollie, which is called Writing Our Lives, and uh, have, everybody is writing memoir of some sort or another, and they introduced all the new people. I came, I know you girls find this um, difficult to believe, but I came in a few minutes late, and they had already <laughs> lined up everybody, and they called me up, and I introduced myself, Joy and Count. And uh, the guy who leads the, the program turns around and says, I just read something by you. And I said, Thank you, nice to hear. But what he has done, Margie, and Margie's book, Bright Illuminations, he and his wife read one one piece every morning. Oh, cool. It's kind of like their meditation. And he had just read the one that I wrote for you. Oh. So I thought that, yes, yay, Margie. Shout out. Well, am, am I getting the signal that we need to start wrapping up, or does somebody have something else? Say, well, I want to add one more thing before we wrap well, up. Well, add it, and then we're going to have Mary tell everyone how people can find us and okay. find our this podcast. Okay, Margie, were you going to say something and I cut you off, or not? Um, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we leave this fascinating. She forgot. Subject. I want to bring up uh, one of my favorite movies in the world, which is it's named Fur, and it's a fictionalized biography of Diane Arbus, and it has the beautiful Robert Downey Jr. in it. And it's very downy. Yes, <laughs> it is. It's I think maybe furry fur. is the word. Yes. And I could watch Fur over and over and over. And, and you did. And, and, and I did. And it certainly gives a different, I mean, it, it's sort of an interesting perspective on what we've talked about here today. Was she Marian. her hair suit? Was she covered in fur? Well, Robert Downey Jr. No, 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 no. He was. He was. He was. She took pictures oh. of And she took pictures people, of people. And and she and did since you brought up, up movies, uh, Mystic Marion, I must point out, she has her visual aids here, and there are two movies which we can't borrow because they're VCRs. <laughs> Also but you have a VCR, don't you? No, I don't. No. Oh. But I couldn't. I could. I could not possibly part with these VCRs, even though I don't have a thing. And this one was so hard to get. And we didn't talk about this today. But this is the disappearance of Amy, the Assembly of God preacher that disappeared. Listen, I can find you a VCR if you really need one. <laughs> I really one. wish I, you would. I, when I help with these sales, there's always one well, there. We need a VCR because I kept the hardest to find of my movies on VCR. Yes. So. But before we move on to anything else, I just want to point out that this is the first podcast where all six of us have That's been right. here at the table. Oh, how how nice. So I'm Yay. glad we redid it because we finally all made it to that the same table such together. a blessing. It is. It is a blessing to your heart. <laughs> oh, is it? Are we up? Okay, so first of all, you can get our books 
on Amazon. But if you do, you have to pay a shipping fee. So if you're local, you're better off just getting in touch with us. And um, we'll just find a way to get a book to you. You can come to a, a reading or just call us. We'll get you a book. But if you're not local, go on Amazon, look them up. Okay. We have two bookstores opened in Auburn. So oh, yeah. Two. So that's going to be another way probably to get our book. And Katie's giving me a look, but y'all can't see it. She's, she's pretty too. Katie is. <laughs> y'all should be sitting here. Okay, so here's how you get in touch with us. Um, we're all over social media. The easiest thing in the world is to go to Facebook and just go to the search and type in the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers. And we're on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is the Mystics Pod. And on days that our podcast is aired, you will find information on how to get to those podcasts um, on both Facebook and on Twitter. And for those of you that are podcast savvy, I'm very pleased as I will list the platforms on which you can hear our podcast. And I'm grinning at myself because I'm I'm feeling all like a millennial because I know these words. You can listen to our podcast on YouTube. You can listen to it on SoundCloud. Oops, Sound. <laughs> Set clown. Sound. Sound clown. I like that. Is that a sour clown? <laughs> Sound, sound. That's, I'm, I'm that's a Halloween of, clown. You know how big our, they are. Some of our listening clown. audience is afraid of clowns. <laughs> sound cloud. Sound cloud. Let's see if I can do this. Spotify. Better. Spotify. Stitcher. Google Play. And finally, iTunes or Apple Tune, Apple Podcasts. The one that's just on your Apple phone. I had to really channel up my inner millennial to figure out how to do that but it's yeah we'll be there too so if you have some way you like to listen to podcasts just let us know we'll make sure we get it on your platform too um email us anytime we are what are we (laughs) the mystics pod at gmail.com or you can leave us a message on twitter or facebook and you can call us or uh, message us to come read at your book parties or, or psychically connect with us yeah you can psychically connect with us that works well mm-hmm. what other kind of parties do we like to come to pool parties halloween garden parties, parties halloween parties um we'll come bring books nude and beaches. food nude beaches <laughs> <laughs> call us we'll be there strip clubs that's gail that's the queen saying that well remember to rate review subscribe yeah And to be the flame, not not the the moth. moth.